You've heard me talk about my preferred fish oil brand, Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including an innovative, high-performance vegan omega option. But Vital Nutrients innovations don't end there. They've also developed BCQ, a powerful herbal and proteolytic formula that supports a healthy inflammatory response. The nutrients in this distinctive formula also support gastrointestinal function and help maintain healthy connective tissue. BCQ combines boswellia and curcumin with quercetin, a potent flavonoid, and bromelain, a proteolytic enzyme for a healthy inflammatory response in joints, sinus, and the digestive tract. For more information and to order, go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co. Vital Nutrients has been known for nearly 30 years for their clean and innovative formulations, utilizing peer-reviewed research, bioavailable, and bioactive ingredients in therapeutic doses. I take them and use them in my practice. Just go to vitalnutrients.co and check them out. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, a podcast that I'm very, very much looking forward to doing because uh, today I get an opportunity to uh, interview one, a person who I consider really one of my foremost uh, mentors uh, over the past uh, too many decades to recount. Uh, today's guest has been uh, an inspiration to me and to uh, so many people in the integrative community. Uh, he's Dr. Jeffrey Bland. He's considered uh, the founder of the functional medicine movement, and he is uh, academically trained. And I recall uh, that uh, early in my career, uh, he gave me great inspiration because uh, he applied uh, his knowledge, his expertise, his academic precision. Uh, he is a professor of biochemistry at the University of Puget Sound, as originally, and uh has uh, published uh, over 120 papers. So uh, he's that perfect confluence of uh, uh, academic discipline uh, with an innovative spirit, uh, always uh, looking uh, in a balanced way at natural solutions uh, to problems for which we so often reach for uh, a, a pharmaceutical nostrum. Uh, so uh, rather than spending uh, the entire podcast enumerating his accomplishments, which we could easily do, uh, I, I wanted to uh, uh, talk about Dr. Bland's latest project, uh, which is uh, something called Himalayan. Uh, let's see if we get it correctly. Uh, Himalayan uh, tartaric uh, buckwheat. Is that? Am I using the nomenclature correctly? Well, thanks very much, Dr. Hoffman. Actually, I think in the literature it's called Tartary, so it's it's from the Tartarus, but which is a region in China. But yes, Himalayan Tartary buckwheat. Okay, or let's abbreviate it uh, HTB. Okay, for the rest of this podcast. There you go. Good. We'll stipulate to that. <laughs> it makes it easier. So, okay. So, uh, what turned you on to the uh, extraordinary properties of uh, HTB? Well, you know, you and I have uh, shared so many interesting experiences over over the decades that we've known one another that might be considered um, kind of by coincidence or serendipitous and things that we've discovered or we've encountered that we say, wow, isn't that interesting? That connects to something else that I would have never seen the connection. And that such was the case for me with this uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat HTB discovery. So it, it was really two events. Um, 
Event number one was uh, reading an article in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. Uh, this was about three years ago out of a group uh, in Vanderbilt University Medical School Center in which they were discussing this new anti-hypertensive uh, anti uh, molecule that they had discovered. And I was reading through the the study, and it was very interesting because the way that this molecule was working to lower blood pressure was not by the traditional methods that I'm familiar with, which are related to things that pertain to the kidney function and angiotensin and angiotensinogen and and or uh, fluid uh, changes that are related to diuretic-type drugs. But this was actually uh, a molecule that influenced the immune system in such a way that when it spoke to the vascular wall, the vascular endothelium, uh, would have a different impact of communication on the vascular wall, causing it to relax and thereby lowering blood pressure. And I thought, well, that's kind of a very novel and unexpected type of mechanism of action. So as I, as I read more in the study, I, I read the fine details and was going through some of this fine print and I found out that there was a little short sentence that said this this molecule, which turns out to be a compound called 2-hydroxylbenzylamine, or 2-HOBA, H-O-B-A, to abbreviate it, uh, was found in only one food. And, and that food was this thing called tartary buckwheat. And it was this had nothing to do with nutrition. This study it was a pharmacological study, but they just put that in the notes of the of the paper. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. I've never heard of, of tartary buckwheat. I know about buckwheat, but I don't know what this tartary buckwheat is. So I I uh, got interested in it, started doing a little deeper drilling. And my colleague uh, that I've worked with now for over twenty years, Trish Sherry, I, I commented to her about my interest in this, and she said, "Well." Let me see if I can find if there's anybody that grows this tartary buckwheat in the United States. And uh, and she came back and found there was, as uh, far as she could sleuth, only one uh, person that seemed to still be growing in the United States this uh, this crop, this uh, tartary buckwheat. And that was a in upstate New York, a, f a farmer who was actually a former professor of uh, ag science at Cornell who was retired. And he and his wife, who was a nurse, decided to have a, a family farm and do something interesting. And they were growing this tartary buckwheat. So it's sort of an artisanal we, we crop, right? It is something a little uh, off the beaten track. Exactly. And it was only 20 acres uh, in the whole of the United States. So then the second part of the coincidence was I happened to be invited uh, right after that to go and uh, lecture in um, Harbin, China, the northernmost uh, large city in China. About 20 plus million people live there. It's right in between uh, Russia and North Korea. And um, this was their annual uh, Chinese Medical Health Check Center meeting where they brought 10,000 doctors in from the health centers around the country to do a kind of an evaluation of, of uh, general family practice, I guess you call it, or primary care. And I was asked to be uh, a presenter at that meeting. And as I was um, being shepherded by my host, who was a Shanghainese-American uh, uh, gentleman who got his PhD in America, but was uh, born in Shanghai. We were taking the bullet train back from Harbin all the way to Shanghai. That's about 2,200 miles of train ride. So we had quite a bit of time, even though we were going at over 300 miles an hour. Hmm. Um, and he uh, he said to me, uh, or I said to him, I said, you know, just out of uh, happenstance, do you know anything about Himalayan tartary buckwheat? And it was as if we freeze-framed all of a sudden, and he said, uh, my word, why did you ask that? And he said, well, I'm, I'm kind of very interested. I just wondered if you know anything about it. He said, well, 
you have just chosen the right person to talk to because we have one of the largest research groups on on Himalayan tartary buckwheat and the active phytochemicals in it. And we're collaborating with Vanderbilt University Medical School. I said, well, that's the group that I've been very interested in. <laughs> so we closed the, the loop. We uh, we brought the farmer together with us, with the group of Vanderbilt and with our Chinese colleagues. And we then decided to move forward and try to understand a lot more about the health benefits of this remarkable product. And since then, uh, we have become, I guess you'd have to say, experts in, in Himalayan tartary buckwheat. It, this particular um, uh, seed, it's not a grain, uh, it's, a, it's a fruit seed, uh, manufactures over 120 different types of phytochemicals in its, in its uh, seed, all of which have some aspect of relationship to immune function. And I believe it probably is now seen in my mind to be the closest uh, thing we can find in the world as a food that contains immune active phytochemicals and, and um, immune active uh, nutrients that really uh, are involved with uh, not support of the immune system, but rejuvenation of the immune system through the process of autophagy and mitophagy and and the the, uh, the kind of dissembling of an old aged immune system back into an anti-senescent younger immune system. So that's been our focus now for two years is totally engaged in understanding the pharmacology, the nutrition, and the growing by now own part of the farms. We've got a whole cooperative group agreement of uh, northern uh, New York uh, farmers that are growing organically our tartary buckwheat for us. We're, we're now bringing this product back to life in the United States, and it's been a really, really interesting journey for me. And, and we really appreciate uh, the economic uh, impetus for that uh, much-neglected part of the country, because if you travel through upstate New York, as I have uh, from time to time, uh, it's uh, it, a former uh, rich uh, agricultural region. It's now, uh, you know, a lot of uh, shanties and abandoned farms. And, you know, it's time that uh, we, you know, we extend some new economic opportunities to that that part of the world. And this has actually resulted in the launch of a product uh, which has been dubbed, I see a, a, a trademark here, HTB Rejuvenate. And you've studied it in a... Uh, immunorejuvenation observational trial. Can you tell us about what you discovered there? Yes. So we uh, we found over the course of uh, a year of working with um, the product of this this seed, this fruit seed, uh, that it could be reformulated into a variety of different configurations. We we could include it as flour into. Uh, baking in, in, in culinary items. It could be put into things like shake mixes to make it readily available, or we could actually concentrate the phytochemicals, 100 plus different phytochemicals into a, into a capsule form. So the HTB rejuvenate is a capsule form. About four of those capsules a day are equivalent to consuming about a quarter pound of the, uh, the full meal flour, the mm-hmm. HTB flour. And so we then decided uh, for the convenience, uh, because people didn't have to bake or do big preparations, to do a a kind of an outcome study to see uh, after measuring different immunotypes uh, using a a metric that we developed, the so-called immunoidentity questionnaire and and the PROMISE questionnaire and and the medical outcome survey, short form 36, and and, and, um, evaluating their immune status, uh, we decided to do an intervention trial, uh, kind of an experience uh, trial that was uh, uh, not a placebo control, but really an outcome-based experience trial to see if there was any impact that we could uh, 
see in people who took this uh, on a on a daily basis to see what outcome in their immunological function would occur over the course of a couple of months. And quite honestly, we we didn't expect to, with the small size of the study and the short time duration, to get what I would consider to be you know statistically uh, highly significant data out of it, but. We were very surprised to see that actually the signal strength or the the strength of the of the effect on people's health was strong enough that we got statistical significant difference between before and after at levels that were extraordinarily significant, less than 0. 0.001 uh, p values. So we we then <laughs> I think felt like well I think we really have something here. Uh, people were sleeping better. They had better energy. They had better mental clarity. Uh, they, uh, they, f- even things like chronic inflammation, uh, things like, uh, blood sugar irregularities were improved. In fact, now we've, uh, got another pilot trial we've done with people with elevated hemoglobin A1C showing that, uh, there's a significant reduction over the course of two months, two to three months, uh, on A1C values showing salutary effects on blood sugar. So, we we really kind of confirmed that uh, our intuition about the uh, the health benefits of this immolating turnery buckwheat was was justified. We've now written that up and and published that study. But it's it's really the first of a number of of studies that we're going to be involved with. We're now looking at uh, immunological assessment using flow cytometry and doing differential cell population evaluations of the immune system in people on immolating turnery buckwheat. So we we feel that we're just at the front edge. But what hopefully is going to be a really significant learning curve about the value of this of this of this product at a time in our cultural history where immunity has kind of risen to the top of the of the pile. Is it a misnomer to call this an immune booster? Because so often we see that as a you know kind of a catchword, you know, when we talk about supplements, or, or is it more about uh, uh, balance uh, or you know the Goldilocks effect? It's not too hot, not too cold, just right. <laughs> well, that's a, a really important question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I've been a little bit apprehensive, particularly in light of what we've learned about the cytokine storm uh, that's involved with uh, some of the severe symptoms of, of COVID-19 disease, uh, about using the term immune boosting. Because if you boost the immunity in the wrong way, you, you can have adverse outcomes rather than beneficial outfit, outcomes. Um, if you over accentuate the inflammatory potential of the immune system. It can be a, like a train run wild. So I'm, I'm not very strongly uh, affiliated with uh, boosting as, as a principal um, way of uh, improving immune function. I think there's a, a very clear intelligence that our immune system has within it that when properly uh, regulated, and I'm talking about the genes that regulate our immune system function that reside within immune cells, that if you properly um, modulate their activity, the immune system knows how to balance itself, uh, both in terms of innate and and adaptive immune uh, function, to give the proper protection without over-accentuated activity. And I think that is really a consequence of taking immune cells that have become senescent or aged 
Uh, and this is something that has just been discovered within the last 10 years that uh, one of the principal risk factors that we have as we grow old, older is that our immune system collects bad memories and it it uh, collects debris. Uh, these are both mutational injuries in the genes of our immune cells and, and epigenetic changes that uh, then make us more inflammation prone, but paradoxically also are associated with reduced vigilance of our immune system. So we get the worst mm-hmm. of both worlds. Mm-hmm. We have more inflammation and we have less uh, resistance to infection. And so the way you get rid of that is about not boosting the immune system, but it's it's renewing the immune system. It's rejuvenating the immune system. And, and over the last uh, 10 years, in fact, the Nobel Prize in medicine and physiology was won uh, just recently in 2017 for the discovery of one of the processes by which that occurs, a process called autophagy, immunological autophagy. That's selective loss of damaged immune cells to be replaced by new uh, more naive new immune cells that don't have bad memories that they're carrying. And, and it turns out that the, uh, the nutrients that are present in Himalayan tartary buckwheat, the, this rich array of these, uh, these phytochemicals have been found to actually encourage the, uh, the renewal of these immune cells through the process of support of, uh, autophagy and mitophagy selective to, uh, damaged immune cells. So this is what we call immunorejuvenation as contrasted to immune support. And mm-hmm. I think that's, a better term. that's where the front yeah. edge of the, that's where the front edge of the new technology and the new opportunities, I think, lie. Is, is it, there's a direct effect of the multitude of, uh, bioactive molecules uh, in the HTB, which include familiar names like rutin and quercetin and hesperidin and luteolin and diosmin, uh, but also some some new players like the 2-HOBA that you uh, enumerated earlier. Uh, but is it possible that there's also a microbiome effect of this natural food-based supplement? Oh boy! That, <laughs> again, as I would have expected with all your vast experience, you asked just the right questions. Um, so that's a that's a fascinating story that we just uh, over the last um, about half a year we started to learn more about because it turns out that if you do a detailed analysis of um, the uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat seed uh, under the magnifying glass, it's it's very, very interesting seed. It's pyramidal in structure, and it's got this very, very tough husk on it that probably is how it survived in these hostile environments over the centuries. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been actually consumed as a food for 3,500 years, and and I think it survived in these hostile uh, hostile environments of uh, of the Himalayas because of this tough outer husk. It turns out that if you um, if you mill uh, the seed uh, and you take the husk off and then you have the endosperm of the seed left, which is the flower, uh, you'll find that there's very different phytochemicals in the uh, the two components. Um, the interior uh, phytochemicals, the, the rich array of, of phytochemicals, some of which you've just described, uh, have their greatest effect on the adaptive immune system. Hmm. It turns out that the, the phytochemicals that are in the husks, uh, the hulls, are different. Um, they are names like isoarentin and isoquercetin, and these have principal roles on 
the uh, innate immune system, particularly at the gut level, the gut microbiome. They actually uh, have their studies now showing that both isoarentin and isocorsetin help to de- detoxify and get rid of uh, uh, members of our microbiome population that are associated with uh, toxicity. Uh, they uh, activate then the uh, immune uh, function of our associated gut immune system. And so by separating out the the hulls and husks from the in the sperm, the flower, you actually get two separate kinds of physiological effects. One is more likely on the innate immune system with the first line of defense, which is the gut barrier and the lung barrier. And the second is, is more likely on the adaptive mm. system or the second line of immune defense. So it's a, it's a really interesting kind of historical structure function relationship to what we've learned about uh, the composition of the Himalayan tertiary buckwheat seed. I've always been partial to plant compounds that are grown under uh, harsh conditions because, as you well know, there's this concept of what are called phytoalexins, which are compounds that plants elaborate under stress. And clearly, uh, these are, uh, you know, buckwheat, you know, is a a staple of uh, people in Russia, you know, where the winters are harsh. Uh, And, you know, something from the Himalayas suggests that, uh, you know, it's got to withstand some uh, environmental challenges. And as a result, uh, you know, as with wine that's grown, you know, with a cold snap, uh, there's more of the good stuff, things like resveratrol, you know, get amped up under challenging conditions. Yes, again, uh, wonderful <laughs> insight. It, uh, let me contrast quickly the two uh, kinds of buckwheat. Uh, the first is the most uh, familiar form of buckwheat. It's called common buckwheat, and it's a, a Phagopyrin esculatum is its um, Latin name. Um, and it is a uh, known to be very, very high in certain types of phytochemicals, mm-hmm. particularly, as you mentioned earlier, rutin. It's the yeah. highest plant, mm-hmm. plant, food, uh, plant food with, uh, with rutin, a, a flavonoid. Um, and it is a, in, it is a, uh, a seed or a flower uh, that is pollinated by insects. So it, it has the opportunity because of insect pollination to be genetically hybridized. If an insect carries, you know, the pollen from some distance from one flower to another, it can, it can hybridize the gene. So the genetic structure of common buckwheat uh, is quite uh, varied over the, over time by, by cultivation and, and, uh, agricultural, uh, uh, husbandry or, or, or growing. Um, now let's contrast that to uh, to that of the uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat. Uh, that's um, Esculatum tartaricum. Uh, by the way, neither of these are actually wheats, and I think it's important they don't belong mm-hmm. at all right. to the family order that do wheat. So they're gluten free, and they're they're entirely different. They kind of misnamed to call them wheat. But the um, the Himalayan tartary buckwheat uh, does not have a uh, or I say it a different way, it has a very significant genetic structure than does the uh, common buckwheat. And and this is in part due to the fact that the uh, tartary buckwheat is not an insect pollinator, it's a self-pollinator. So it's very uh, uh, incestuous in controlling its gene structure over millennia because it self-pollinates. It doesn't Stable. depend upon insects coming in and polling, pollinating it. And, and the tartary buckwheat, it turns out, uh, I mentioned that common buckwheat has pretty high rutin levels, in fact, the highest of any kind of common flower product. But the uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat has almost 100 times higher rutin in it Oof. than does common buckwheat. And it turns out that um, of the 100-plus different phytochemicals that are in um, tartary buckwheat, 
uh, more than 60 of them are only found in high levels in tartary buckwheat. You don't find them in common buckwheat at all. So this is like a little biochemical factory making unique uh, family, actually an orchestra of, of flavonoids, all of which have been found by scientific discoveries to have relationships to immune function. So this is like the super immunity crop of all times. If we want to talk about a hmm. superfood for immunity, the uh, the tartary buckwheat, uh, whose germplasm is very different than that of common buckwheat, and and uh, I think it re- represents itself um, not only because of its uh, flavonoid content, but we've now found a whole other series of benefits. It has uh, very high levels of... Uh, uh, resistant starch, so it tends to promote uh, very favorable effects on the microbiome. It also has um, the highest level that I think of any uh, any flower product of um, a specific uh, type of uh, non-digestible carbohydrate that's been found to um, uh, activate insulin sensitivity and to, and to trigger a, a better glycemic response. So when we get a a study of the uh, Himalayan tartary buckwheat uh, flour using uh, continuous glucose monitoring CGM technology, and we've actually published this report just recently, we found it has an extraordinarily low glycemic response compared to any other flour. It's very mm. it's very uh, blood sugar and insulin friendly. And and so there's there are many, many unique uh, advantages. Oh, it's also very high in protein, and it's very high in um, essential amino acids. So uh, and as contrast to many other hybridized grains, its protein content content can be from between 10 and 15 percent, and and it's very high in in uh, essential amino acids. So, it is really a a superfood that has super immune potentiating capability. I was uh, lucky enough to get my hands on uh, an early, I guess it was, uh, you know, a beta test of of the HTB, and you know, and I have been using it. Uh, is it available to the general public yet? Yes, we've just, I'm very, very pleased to say that, you know, we had to grow our own seeds because you can't go to the seed store and, <laughs> uh, and get Himalayan tartary buckwheat seeds. So, uh, fortunately, the, our partner, um, the farmer that I mentioned, the, uh, ex Cornell ag uh, professor in, in, um, Angelica, New York is where he lives, he and his wife. Um, because of his relationship that he had through research, uh, in the ag area for many years, he had a relationship with the USDA that allowed him to get, some selective seeds that go way back to, I believe, the ancient seeds from from Himalayas, and so we used he has used those as our seed stock. So we had to grow our first crop in 2019 just to make enough seed to expand our acreage. Um, in 2020, then it was our first time to really use that seed that we had made and that we had grown and developed in 19 in a, um, a commercial ramp up with organic farmers, and we're very pleased that we developed the Himalayan Tartary Buckwheat Organic Cooperative with farmers that have been organically farming for over 20 years. So we had our first crop really uh, harvested and uh, and milled into the first ever, uh, as far as I know, organically certified Himalayan Tartary Buckwheat that was domestically produced in November of this last year. So now we have uh, a couple hundred thousand pounds uh, of something that hasn't been seen in America since colonial times. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm, I'm I'm excited to say that yes, one can get it uh, through our company, Big Bold Health, both as flour uh, and as the HTB Rejuvenate. And uh, you know, our BigBoldHealth.com website would be a place for people to go if they want to find out more about this and and if they are interested in, in ordering any of our products. 
Great. Okay. It was a good point which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. And uh, in part two of today's discussion with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who is deservedly uh, known as the founder of the functional medicine movement, uh, I want to get his reflections on the current pandemic. That's a big topic that we'll save for part two. So stay with us. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. <laughs> 